There is no reforming the schools. The options are survival or escape. But this realization actually marks the beginning of a new and fulfilling educational journey. For both students and parents. Welcome to the School Sucks Project. Hi, and welcome back to The Essential School Sucks. This is number 14, The Hero's Journey 14s. This show was originally released in January of 2021. So we talk a little bit about that, but I just want to, you know, I know your time is precious to you and your time is precious to me. Before we get started, I just really quickly want to talk about the flow of this show. So the advertised title does not happen until the latter third of the whole conversation. If you want to know what we mean specifically and your press for time by the hero's journey for teens, I would say, listen to the first five minutes. I took the audio from a video on the hero's journey from a superb YouTube channel called Academy of Ideas. So that kind of lays out, it's a little bit dense, but it does a good job laying out uh, the hero's journey or probably refreshing your memory on Joseph Campbell's idea of the hero with a thousand faces, the story that's told over and over again in literature and film about being in a place of ignorance or relative comfort, even if that comfort comes with uh, you know, a deep lack of satisfaction and going out on an adventure and learning valuable lessons and conquering something and then coming back home more heroic. Star Wars. Sorry to use that as the first example, but Luke's story is the hero's journey. Matt is the founder of the Acton Academy in Placer County, California. This is one of the promises Acton makes to their students is each team will begin a hero's journey of their own. In other words, it is encouragement of and support for this young person's process of creating and then living a great story that is unique to them. Contrast that to the problem that we talked about earlier in the Essential School Sucks series, my show with Dan Sanchez. School has robbed young people of their why, where political actors, propagandists, university professors can say to these young people, they can tap into that angst and desire and say, come live this hero's journey that has already been scripted for you. Come be a pawn in our project. Today's show is a big step towards the remedy for that problem. But I was talking about saving you time if necessary. So yes, the first five minutes of the actual show will lay out the hero's journey. And then I would be comfortable telling you that you could jump an hour in and that's where we talk for maybe about 35 minutes about this hero's journey for teens. So you're probably asking, well, what happens in that space in between? Matt also does a show called The Essential 11 and we spend the first good portion of the conversation talking about improving our performance as people, as entrepreneurs, in Matt's case, as as a parent and a husband. It has a lot to do with self-optimization. So I really, really loved this show when I released it because I thought it had something for, for everybody. I thought it was really inspirational. I'm really impressed with Matt's story. In the, the conversation we had before this, he actually talks about his departure, you know, the first part of the hero's journey, the departure from the um, schooling establishment where he started his career and how he's certainly cut a very um, unique path of his own. So there's a lot in this conversation about habit and mindset. And I think that's good for everybody, especially for teens. 
Um, you know, the Essential Eleven, Matt interviews really high-performing uh, and ambitious people. So he sees it also as a source of motivation for young listeners. So the services that this show provides, you get to know who Matt Bodro is. You get to know about the Essential Eleven podcast. You get to know about this very cool educational alternative called Acton Academy. It's a whole network across the country. It was really wonderful to be able to bring Matt in and have him distill a lot of the wisdom that you know he had gained or that he actively practices uh, either from his own story or from the stories he's been told on the Essential Eleven podcast. If you want only the hero's journey part, like I said, listen to the first five minutes. And then if you skip to the one hour mark, we'll spend the last portion of the show talking about what the hero's journey for teens means. But everything that happens before that is um, really great listening as well. If you ask me, I try to make sure that it's going to be really great listening before I put anything out. If you want to learn more about how you can support the School Sucks Project, both in our future endeavors and throughout the 36 episodes remaining in the Essential School Sucks collection. Please check the show notes or stay tuned until after today's podcast. I also have a few people that I would like to thank by name. Actually, you know what? I'm going to be swift and just do that right now as a favor to these two people. So the first person I want to thank is Fabio. Fabio T, who a few days ago doubled his already existing Patreon contribution, becoming part of our second tier of membership, which is Friend of Brett. Tier one is Friend of School Sucks. You support our mission and our message. Tier number two, Friend of Brett. So thank you, Fabio, and congratulations on having a cool first name and a, actually a really cool last name too, but I'm not going to say it on the show without your permission. I need to get on top of this soon and ask people if they don't mind me saying their whole name into the show, but I always just kind of proceed cautiously, especially in this day and age, and just use first name, last initial. I uh, also want to say thank you. This is an easy one because this, I'm guessing, is a nickname or an online name. Sprouts! Thank you so much, Sprouts, for signing up to support us on Patreon, and I did see your note. I'm glad you've been uh, involved in our world for a while, and it's nice to have you here as well. So thank you, Fabio and Sprouts. This is The Essential School Sucks number 14, originally released as podcast 698, The Hero's Journey for Teens with Matt Bodro, January 25th, 2021. Thanks for listening and take care. Myths of individuals undergoing heroic adventures as they attempt to actualize their higher potentials and find their own unique pathway to bliss are abundant in many cultures throughout history. While these myths vary in detail depending on their time and place of origin, they share a common pattern, which Joseph Campbell coined the myth of the hero's journey. In myths which follow the pattern of the hero's journey, the hero ventures forth from a familiar world into strange and sometimes threatening lands, be it a passage into the desert, a dark forest, or an adventure into the deep ocean. Campbell proposed we view this as symbolic of the individual's departure from their conscious personality into the unexplored regions of their unconscious, in search of the ultimate boon, the unrealized potentials hidden within. We'll briefly trace the pattern of the hero's journey, noting its relevancy to those who, feeling lost and disoriented in life, could benefit from venturing forth into their unexplored unconscious psyche. The hero's journey always begins with a call to adventure. In myths, this call is often personified as an animal the hero encounters, symbolic of one's instincts or gut feelings, which are insightful but too often ignored. In the words of Campbell, 
Often in actual life, and not infrequently in the myths and popular tales, we encounter the dull case of the call unanswered, for it is always possible to turn the ear to other interests. Refusal of the summons converts the adventure into its negative. Walled in boredom, hard work, or culture, the subject loses the power of significant affirmative action and becomes a victim to be saved. While the call is often initially refused, not all who hesitate are lost. There are forces within which understand the importance of the adventure and act to ensure the call does not remain unanswered forever. In myths, these forces are often personified as supernatural helpers. In fairy lore, it may be some little fellow of the wood, some wizard, hermit, shepherd, or smith who appears to supply the amulets and advice that the hero will require. The higher mythologies develop the role of the great figure of the guide, the teacher, the ferryman, the conductors of souls to the afterworld. Assisted by internal forces, the hero eventually answers the call to adventure and ventures off into unknown territory. At the boundary of the familiar and unexplored regions, the hero encounters the Threshold Guardian. In myths, this guardian is often a menacing being, or Mephistophelian figure, which represents one's shadow, the portion of one's personality which has been rejected over time and thus relegated to the surface layers of the unconscious. In myths, the Threshold Guardian instills panic among those unprepared to meet him, just as in real life confronting one's rejected personality can be difficult and distressing. Yet if one finds a way to accept their rejected personality, one gains access to an inner strength which will be of assistance as one descends into the deeper and sometimes threatening layers of the unconscious, as Campbell explained. And so it happens that if anyone undertakes for himself the perilous journey into the darkness by descending, either intentionally or unintentionally, into the crooked lanes of his own spiritual labyrinth, he soon finds himself in a landscape of symbolical figures, any one of which may swallow him. Descending deeper and deeper into the psyche, overcoming trials and experiencing moments of ecstatic insight, eventually one's previous self begins to disintegrate, and a new, more impressive self begins to form. In myths, this stage is symbolized as a death and rebirth, in which the hero enters a dark area such as the belly of a whale, a tomb, or dark cave, and after a period of time, emerges from it reborn. Reborn with a new sense of strength and purpose, the ultimate boon, or unrealized potential within, is discovered soon after. Finding the ultimate boon is described in different myths in a variety of ways, yet it is always meant to signify an expansion of consciousness and their width of being, illumination, transfiguration, freedom. While the discovery of the unrealized potentials within is a highly significant moment, it is not the end of the journey. One still must determine how to nourish these potentials and bring them forth in the world. This can be exceedingly difficult, as Campbell explained. The whole idea is that you've got to bring out again that which you went to recover, the unrealized, unutilized potential in yourself. The whole point of this journey is the reintroduction of this potential into the world. It goes without saying this is very difficult. Bringing the boon back can be even more difficult than going down into your own depths in the first place. As you attempt to bring forth your potential into the world, there is the possibility that nobody will care or pay attention. There is also the possibility that the applause of others will divert you from your authentic path, leading to a life of mimicry or enslavement to the opinions of others. The optimal possibility is to carve out your own corner of the world, where you can nourish your potential and offer your work to others without concern of applause or fear of rejection. In doing so, you will have found your own unique pathway to bliss, and your life will have followed the thread of the hero's journey.
What I think is that a good life is one hero journey after another. Over and over again, you are called to the realm of adventure. You are called to new horizons. Each time, there is the same problem. Do I dare? And then if you do dare, the dangers are there, and the help also, in the fulfillment or the fiasco. There's always the possibility of a fiasco, but there's also the possibility of bliss. Shall we go? You person being reluctant we're literally giving them all the tools so what is the fear what is that point of fear that we are missing here with that young hero what is it right now is it something going on at home is it something what is it like we're consistently having that conversation and the answers sometimes to get them unstuck are not the same yeah it is kind of like a self-directed like self-chosen intrinsically motivated systems installation kind of thing where you go to school it's like tough luck buddy these are the systems we're installing But with self-awareness and like bringing that stuff out, being conscious of that stuff and saying, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? More more importantly, like, how do you want to feel? Because having good systems in place at the end of the day, you know, think about just the building blocks that days are towards the future. At the end of the day, if you follow systems that are self-nurturing and self-honoring, you go to bed and you go, geez, that was a great day. And you string a few of those together and then those systems become ingrained. And that's it. And things start to change. You know, we always tell our, our young heroes, look, you are consistently being brainwashed by somebody. Whether it's your parents, whether it's your friends, whether it's the media, whether it's social media, whether it's the culture, or it's you. Might as well make it you. Might as well pick and choose exactly what that brainwash looks like and make that brainwash exactly the, you know, have it come from the person that you want to be and those pieces, components of others that you like, that you want to integrate in yourself, have those be the things that are brainwashing you every single day. This is Brett. Welcome back to School Sucks. Today is Monday, January 25th, 2021. Very pleased to welcome back to the show, Matt Bodreau. Matt is the host of the absolutely outstanding Essential 11 podcast. We're going to be talking about that early on in our conversation. He is also the founder of the Acton Academy in Placer County, California. Matt is also a very sought after public speaker. You can Google his name and find a TED Talk, a very shareable TED Talk that he gave five years ago. But I highly recommend checking out his more recent work, like The Essential 11, and this conversation that you're just moments away from hearing. We really do it all in this one. Our last conversation a few months back was kind of like an introduction to Matt. We compared notes regarding our careers. We found some interesting similarities. And I said, Matt, please come back and let's do a deeper dive on this idea of the hero's journey for teens. Part of the Acton Academy mission, the promises they make to the young people who enrolled there is that he or she will begin a hero's journey, learn to be a curious, independent, lifelong learner, develop a deep respect for economic, political, and religious freedoms, cherish the arts, the wonders of the physical world, and the mysteries of life on Earth, and discover his or her most precious gifts and learn to use them to solve difficult problems. Very well aligned, I like to think, with what we do here at School Sucks Project. 
So in the process of talking about this hero's journey, not really just for teens, yeah, let's talk to young people, but this is the kind of thing that lots of people out there could use. So I hope you are in that category, lots of people. And some additional explorations here include goals versus systems. We talk about a book by James Clear called Atomic Habits and how the habit and systems installation process works with act and learners, young heroes, as Matt calls them. I love that. And check the show notes because we hit several other topics as well. So that's it. Here is my conversation with the great Matt Bodro. Remember to look in the show notes for Matt's links if you want to learn more about him. Definitely remember to add Essential 11 to your pod catcher. Some really like casual but amazing interviews with some very, very impressive people on Essential 11. I highly recommend it. And boy, am I excited to share this conversation with you. Thank you so much for listening. Here we go. If you see your brother standing by the road with a heavy load, and if you see your sister falling by the way, just stop and say, you're going the wrong way. It is a pleasure to have you back. Pleasure to be here, sir. Always good to chat with you, bud. So we're doing this. This is worth pointing out. On January 20th, it's really important for the conversation we're going to have. I mean, you and I have been at this for a long time, giving advice to younger people. And we can say things like, you know, in 2008... I did this. Yeah. We might have made a lot of rules for ourselves that don't apply anymore. So before we get started, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on where we're at and what you think happens next. (laughs) That's a great great question. I mean, and those things go together on on kind of my thoughts, especially as they pertain to young people and then where we go next. I think we are in, you know, as we're sitting here on, on inauguration day, we're in a weird world, man. And, you know, we've had a lot of conversations with, with our students both here at Acton and in the Apogee program and all the young people that I get to connect with around the world. And everybody's kind of in this, that same question. It's like, well, what happens next? What do we do? What happens next? Here's the thing, man. We don't know. We don't, if you and I had had this conversation a year ago, we didn't know how the whole COVID thing was going to play out. We had no idea that we were going to be in this weird world of, you know, Trump versus Biden and the Capitol storming and, you know, I'm, it's the, the separation that we are seeing of the pro Trump or the anti Trump or, you know, everybody's picking like, what do I worry about next? What do I blame next for whatever is going on in my life? We don't, we don't know, we can't foresee the future. So, you know, I always bring it back to controlling what we can control. You yeah. know, I, I woke up today, man, and, and I'm happy. Politics never has anything to do with it for me. You know, the health situation of the world, the pandemic, whether you're like, oh, we got to wear a mask. We don't have to wear a mask. Everybody's got to get vaccinated. Nobody should get vaccinated. None of that plays into me deterring from my mission uh, of getting up and the way I take care and show up for, you know, show up for my wife and show up for my kids in the morning. The way I come in and pour into these young people and express them that they should be proactive 
on their journey versus reactive. And I think what you and I are seeing, what everybody is seeing is that the majority of the world has fallen into a trap of being reactive. Yeah. Um, it's a right. Like there's the emotional reactions to whatever is going on. And, and then, you know, now, okay, so I have to react in this way and I only have certain options. And I mean, I, I live my life proactively. I turn off the news. I'm aware of what's going on, but I, I live proactively and, and push my mission forward. And, um, I'm ready to adapt at any time. And that's the mindset that I want for our young people as well. Okay. So here, there's a question there about balance too. And I put this question yeah. to Isaac Morehouse yeah. a few months back, right? In a, yeah. in a less stressful world, uh, we yeah. did a show called All News is Fake News. Yeah. And uh, I, by the way, also did like a complete news and social media blackout aside to like post like, hey, new show, but sure. wasn't yeah, yeah. scrolling or uh, wasn't yeah. watching YouTube. Any, I did it for a month. Yeah. What uh, finding the balance, right, of needing to know enough about what's going on, but mm -hmm. not getting sucked in. I mean, there's been definitely a couple of points like around the I think the election was actually when I managed to uh, start tuning out a little bit. Mm -hmm. But December was a great, very serene month for me, completely disconnected from all that stuff. I had to check back in a little bit like I sucked in January 6th when all that stuff happened. I watched a YouTube video or two today. I'm doing a pretty good job with it. But what does that balance look like for you as far as like, all right, I need to know enough, especially yeah. when there's like uh, various forms of like self-protection involved in what's sure. going on, uh, but staying output focused or you focused in these situations. Yeah. Uh, you, you said the word serene, you know, and you were talking about the blackout being this serene month. For me, the balance, because I'm not a huge, um, you know, about the way I live my life, you know, people wouldn't look at it and say, well, there's a lot of balance um, there, uh, because I think people look at the balance uh, in terms of output versus, you know, relaxation, um, you know, amount of time working versus amount of time not working, or some people working versus playing or, um, and for me, the balance is the serenity. It's what mm -hmm. you mentioned. So for me, balance is just my peace of mind, right? If I am diving too far down a rabbit hole where all of a sudden my peace of mind starts to get disrupted. And all that means is that I start to worry about something that's out of my control. That's where I immediately stop and, and have to get out. You know, I mean, that's, that's really it for me. So I think different people have different levels of, of that, but um, you know, that, that balance for me, it's that being proactive is what keeps my peace of mind intact. I will, um, you know, take a look at what's going on, but I had a great conversation with, uh, it was a kind of a DM sort of conversation with, with, uh, TK mm -hmm. Coleman, the way I framed it for him. I'm like, look, the way I look at my life is I've already, uh, it's kind of like watching or like watching a movie, but you've already read the book, right? So, and then you're watching this movie and maybe you're watching it with people who have never read the book. They've never watched the movie and it's a scary movie. And all of a sudden there's the scary stuff starts, starts happening and, and everybody starts freaking out and everybody's getting scared and everybody's getting worried. But, you know, as I sit back and go, okay, well, I've already read the book. I've already, so I know what the ending is. So I'm not really worried about it. I can appreciate these moments, but I'm not, that's kind of how I look at life in general mm -hmm. is that I've already read the end of the book. Um, I know that I'm going to go through this life and I'm going to have some struggles and I'm going to have some hardship. And there's going to be some things that happen that I have no control over that I didn't realize were, was going to happen. Um, all of those things are going to take place, period, end of story. If right. you're trying to do anything worthwhile, you're going to have some hardships some struggles, some things to come up against. So I have already come 
to peace with that and do everything that I can to be as prepared for whatever it is that I can be. I mean, I can only do so much. I'm going to keep myself physically in shape. So Mm -hmm. I always keep myself physically healthy. Like it it doesn't matter if there's another pandemic or if all of a sudden I have to run away from a burning building or all of a sudden I have to confront an attacker. Like I'm as prepared as I'm going to be for any of those situations by taking care of my physical health. My financial health is the same thing. The health of the relationships of the people around me. I pour into those every single day so that they're at their strongest possible position always being ready to adapt to something if I need to. So I've already read the book. So whatever happens with this, whatever happened with Trump or Biden, I didn't care. I Mm -hmm. completely didn't care because I don't get to see the end of that story. I'm not controlling any of that. All I know is I'm going to do what I can do no matter which way the wind blows. And that's how I look at everything in life. I'm not, uh, I don't let myself get saddened buy it. It's not an emotional reaction. I try to stay as stoic as possible and all that kind of stuff, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. So that's kind of like a statement about purpose. Mm-hmm. The, I love the metaphor. That works, except if the book is The Shining, everybody, because the movie <laughs> just goes completely yeah, off the rails in all kinds of ways. But uh, yeah, I get that. And And would you say that that is actually like about having a purpose and kind of reverse engineering from like where you are right now? Uh, to thinking about that and focusing on that. And what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly it. For a lot of people that find their, you know, and, and wherever anybody is on this, for some it's, um, you know, it's kind of the spiritual purpose and, and but people espouse that, but then their actions don't necessarily a lot of times match up with that. Um, for some, it is the the work that they do. For me, it's a, you know, truly is a, a combination of both. Um, there is a spirituality that is, is an important part of, of my life where, again, I feel like I've already kind of read the end of the book, seen the end of the journey. Um, my purpose as well, I could, somebody asked me on a podcast not too long ago, I said, well, what is, what is kind of the career goal at this point? Like, what do you have? And I'm honestly, man, I'm, I've, I've already, everything now is extra for me. Like I've already done, you know, what I, what I've wanted to do. So I feel like at this point, every single thing I get to do, every person I get to pour into every conversation I get to have is just icing on the cake. So I don't have any, you know, I, I don't have anything I'm, I'm chasing. I just literally get to live and breathe the my purpose of helping you know young people become the best thing they can being the morpheus to as many neos as i can right just continuously opening doors for young people um and i've already far surpassed anything i thought i'd ever get to do so you know there's just so much peace and just waking up every day going cool who else can i help and how do you help young people? So we talked in the last time you were here, and yeah. I'll definitely reference all this in the monologue yeah. before the show about you know the work with Acton Academy in yep. uh, Placer County, California, where you are. Um, yeah. But you know that mindset. You're you're talking a lot about yeah. mindset, which I think is a yep. really really important thing, uh, and it's it's tricky in different situations to be. I mean, I've found this. I assume other people can identify with this to be a guardian of mindset, right? Like. Yeah. There are circumstances, there are triggers or situations or invitations to go on autopilot where, you know, you can slip away from what is the healthiest mindset for you. So um, I think in addition to being a, a, like, what helps, I should say, in being a guardian of the healthiest mindset is being conscious of it. So how do you foster that in young people? And how do you, if they don't have it, how do you help them kind of install it? Yeah, for sure. That's the the practicality of it. And everybody, you know, we live in in obviously in 2021. One of, one of the popular terms right now that I absolutely hate is is the life hack 
right? Everybody wants to hack this and hack that. And everybody wants everything to be as easy as possible. What's a hack to the mindset? And I don't think it's a it's a hack. I think it's something that is. Uh, I think it is something that is simple. It's not easy, but it, it's simple. And I don't want to, you know, say that it's not a multifaceted kind of thing because it is. You know, I work with young people, whether it's here on campus, I've got my groups that I meet with through Apogee every week um, that are, you know, these young men are quite, quite literally all over the world from California to Dubai to Africa to, I mean, we've got young men all over the world um, and everybody's got their scenarios in parenting that they're growing up with and, and how much that plays into whatever culture they're currently in. All of that plays into the mindset. So I don't want to downgrade any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me to instill that with these young people, the best tool I can give them is a reason to take action. It's an audit of their time. The best protection sometimes of the mindset is to not give yourself any downtime. Whereas if your mind isn't isn't super strong, you can start to go spiral. You can start to go down the rabbit hole. You can start to give yourself the opportunity to check out. It's the auditing of time, you know, and as I've worked with um, again, being so fortunate, man, I've worked with over 300 companies these last, you know, six, seven years. And one of the things I realized is that the auditing of time and taking care of your time, protecting your time is something adults really suck at. So of course, the majority of our kids suck at it too. So one of the things that we implement here at Acton, um, that I implement with, with the Apogee program for the young men we mentor, is a mod schedule. And it's a mod schedule that I use for myself um, that literally for me starts at 4am, ends at 9.30pm, seven days a week. That is my schedule. And I map my day out in 20 minute blocks. And people Mm -hmm. go, that sounds crazy. That sounds maniacal. I have the most uh, genuine interactions um, the, I, I work circles around most people. I have all of those things. And I think a big part of that is because I have that time dialed in to a T there is no idle time unless I plan idle time. And I plan exactly what that idle time looks like. I don't have at this point, the opportunity to go down a rabbit hole that I don't want to go down. That's not going to be productive. Mm-hmm. Right? I eliminate and avoid all of those distractions by planning something else in their place. Um, and now it's just second nature for me. That's the one of the best things we've seen of getting young people in the habit of, of developing that mindset is, is really auditing that time. Okay. So we mentioned this the last time you were on the show and, uh, Let's just tangent here. Let's see what happens. We didn't cool. do it last time, but I've got okay. questions now. I, you piqued my curiosity with the twenty minute thing before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I usually just block by hours because I get kind of like if I see something on a calendar starting at nine thirty five, I'm just ah nine thirty five is kind of a gross time to start a thing, yeah. right? Yeah. Like so, like a fifty minute work sprint followed by a ten minute get out of your chair walk around. That's worked pretty well for me. Cool. But you know there are days where okay something's got to get done and it gets thrown off and I. Try Try to be honest and adjust like the calendar to also be a reflection of what happened that day, not an idealized yeah. version. If I look back at Wednesday on Thursday, yep. but how do you uh, how'd you come up with the 20 minutes and what was right about 20 minutes for you with the way you work? Because you think about like Cal Newport's deep work idea or the work sprint yeah. idea when you when you really have to get into something in a more focused way. So why the 20 minute blocks? Where did that come from? Yeah. And that was my own, that was kind of just a product of what my own schedule 
consistently looked at and uh, look like. And that was, and so I'm not saying that 20 minutes is necessarily the ideal or it's a magic formula. It's a magic number. It was easy for me to break down an entire hour into that. Um, whereas, you know, my workouts could be 40 minutes and 20. I mean, that literally was how it kind of started was with the workout. Cause that's the first thing I, you know, we'll, we'll take on in the morning as I have, um, you know, some, some reading that I do while I'm drinking my coffee. And I would always do that for an hour. And I literally started breaking it up that way. So it was like, okay, I'd start out having coffee the last 20 minutes of that hour, I was having my coffee in a sauna. And that's how I was starting. And then that five to six hour was going to be my workout. So it just made it easier based on something I was already doing. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of morphed from there. And really, the only modification that I make to that is I will, um, I will intentionally schedule my have tos as early as I can during the day. Um, and I just put a star by it on my mod schedule, say, look like this is a non-negotiable, this has to get done today. And so if that ends up taking the place of something else, you know, within that schedule, I will literally write it in. I will move that to another block. I keep it very, very simple. There's no magic formula for me. That's just what ends up working out, honestly, for my schedule, starting with that, that workout and that morning ritual, morning routine. This is something that came up uh, in a private conversation. I have a mastermind group, and it was yeah. not this Monday, but last Monday. Uh, somebody's hot seat, their pain point, was around uh, goals. And yeah. um, I wonder if you consider yourself more of a goals person or a systems person. I saw, I read a blog that Scott Adams wrote about this yeah. recently, and obviously, I think this relates to, like, I, uh, I, the, the conversation that we had in this private group was so thought provoking. I immediately went out and read. Um, James Clear's Atomic Habits book, which yeah. I had never read for some reason. I mean, we've talked yeah. about this on my show plenty, but yeah. I mean, I thought a lot of it was, um, you know, review based on the work I'd done. So I sped through it like just in a couple of days yeah. and grabbed the key concepts. But yeah, I mean, uh, as, as Scott Adams lays it out, and there's a blog I can, uh, people could just search Scott Adams goals versus systems and find this being more systems oriented or being more. And, and I guess the, the thing is, is like goals are often not achieved. They're often yeah. not achieved. So yeah. focus on systems that will move you towards these things yeah. that you were hoping would just have a gravity that would pull you in that direction as a goal. But yeah. where do you come down on that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think I used to be more goal-centered, and that did work for me in the sense that uh, I was obsessive about those goals. What didn't work for me was the time I would waste and spend in pursuit of those goals, mm -hmm. which then led me to become more systems oriented. Um, so I would say now I'm much more of a systems guy. I love James. James Clear's book was was I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. I actually have included that in the Apogee program. That is one of the required readings for the young men that that I mentor um, in their second month. That's what that's what they read. I'm much more of a systems guy now. And and part of it is to remove that maniacal, uh, you know, lack of discipline around the goals. It was to impart a discipline upon myself. But all, part of it, too, is because kind of like I mentioned earlier, I've actually reached the majority of the kind of those esoteric goals that I had for myself. I'm there. Um, I got to do, you know, the things that I wanted to do. So now it's everything is extra and systems are what what kind of helped me to just continue to to be able to to kind of grow and do these extra things that I didn't even realize were going to we're going to be on my plate. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we're about the same age and I'm kind of like looking back at like, oh, I've done all these really cool things. And there's this yeah. nice kind of platform of cool things that I've done that, you know, yeah. ten, I mean, geez, when my career started, I thought if uh, if I want to meet these needs, right, because the purpose of life is to enjoy it. Right. So if I want to enjoy my day in and day out. 
uh, I'm going to have to go get a teaching certificate, like to, to find this meaning or, or to yeah. find this like satisfaction in life. I'm going to have to go get a teaching certificate. I'm going to have to get a job at a public school. I'm going to have to, you know, like that was the, yeah. the, the yeah. 20 years ago, the options were so narrow as far as yeah. like getting those needs met and, you know, finding, being fortunate to trying to meet those needs in these times and having all yeah. these cool opportunities for how to do it and connecting with you know, hundreds of people like on a first name basis and thousands of people on like, uh, you know, a content creation basis has been just amazing. But, you know, I'm also um, looking forward and saying mm, I played it safe a lot. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot like bolder things that I'd like to do. And I'm grateful for the foundation that I have, but yeah. I'm I, it's hard to, it's always hard to like, let the words, I'm nowhere near where I want to be come out of yeah. your mouth. You don't yeah, want yeah, to yeah. say that because yeah. it's not, totally. it doesn't sound grateful, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's like, I have a purpose and I've developed systems to kind of like move in the direction of that purpose, but there is still like a linkage problem sometimes that I think a lot of people encounter where it's like, I know what I'm supposed to do. You know, yeah. I know why I'm here. I, I, I get that. But I'm not attacking it. Then you got to audit your time. I mean, that's really what it comes to, you know, and again, I, maybe that's not the answer for it, but that was the absolutely the answer for me is auditing the time. If you are not moving towards it, then where are you missing the boat? What is it during your day? What is it during your week? Where is it that you are foregoing that? You know, that was, again, when I talk about I was being, I was obsessed with those goals. It was, I woke up and I was on top of those goals and I didn't go to sleep until I couldn't do anything else you know and mm -hmm. it was it was a, literally it was an obsession of making sure i got to it. and again i don't think that was the healthiest measure but the reality was i didn't waste time mm -hmm. so there's another kind of uh negotiation that you have to do between time and energy which mm -hmm. i've started to feel like is more important mm -hmm. than time so i want to hear your thoughts yeah. about this but i remember Having like uh, Tom Woods was on the show. This was like yep. maybe five, four years ago. And yep. uh, we were down in Connecticut and we were interviewing after he spoke at Yale. And um, I said, Tom, how do you do it? You know, how do you how did you uh, create, you know, the Liberty Classroom and all that? He said something like I'm paraphrasing. I literally almost killed myself. I yeah. literally almost worked myself to death doing yep. that. Totally. Um, to me that, you know, and I said the same to him at the time, I said, that sounds very unappealing. Yeah. So, um, and, and this is a, we do a bonus show uh, at school sucks just for like supporting listeners. It's called the discomfort yeah. zone where we talk a lot about these kind of topics. And my co-host, my friend, Andrew, we got into an argument about this last year where, uh, you know, I said, you can't, you can't force it, right? Just because it's this block of time is for this thing. You yeah. really also have to be auditing your energy effectively. Sure. Like I will have to force something later into the day just because of circumstances. And if it's something that I'm usually hitting at six or 7 a.m., I'm not hitting it the same way at four or 5 p.m. Yep. in the afternoon. Yep. So yep. Uh, you know, what about the, the energy piece? I mean, I guess that has yeah. to become part of the equation. Yeah, it definitely becomes part of the equation. I, 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 totally when you said what tom said you know i almost killed myself i it resonated so much with me i think you know like you said you and i are about the same age i probably look 15 years older with all the gray <laughs> in my beard and i think that's it's kids part. it's kids that's it, dude and kids yeah, yeah that's, that's right that's right thank you uh <laughs> but uh you know because i did i i did you know damn near kill myself over a um 
you know, a relatively in the grand scheme of things, short period of six or seven years. Um, but that's also, you know, a couple thousand days of, of going really, really hard to get to ultimately where I wanted to be. And it was a conscious sacrifice. It was very much to me, you know, metaphorically speaking, it was like, okay, you got a mile to run, you can jog it and get to that same mile and 10, 12 minutes, or you can hustle and you can be there in under five. Mm-hmm. Um, one has a much greater energy output, obviously, um, right at the, at the onset. And there's the lingering effects of having to sprint and it's painful. It's painful to sprint. Mm-hmm. Sometimes jogging can be enjoyable. You get that runner's eye sprinting all out for that period of time hurts and you start feeling like you're coughing up blood and it is literally that but for me it was I had a you know kind of a time frame of where I wanted to kind of get to with my ultimate goal of being able to kind of Kaiser Soze you know at the end and and set up all this legacy stuff and then go off into the you know into the mist somewhere never to be seen again with my legacy just being able to live on and so for me it was it was worth that sprint on the day-to-day right now I very much um, am more cognizant of the time and more cognizant of my energy. And I definitely have to do that to be effective at what, you know, the systems that we have in place now to be more effective in my relationship. There's sacrifices that took place in those five years. I didn't have, I had a good relationship with my wife and kids, but I didn't have the relationship that I wanted purely because of time. I didn't have enough time with them. Right. And so there were definitely sacrifices there. The upside of it now is I have a ton more time with them. And I think that short-term sprint for me is paying off for that long-term, but even on the day-to-day I'm very cognizant of what activities I place earlier in the day versus later in the day too. I know where my energy peaks are for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like this, conversations like this, I want, you know, as much as possible to have earlier in the day if we can. Um, you know, I don't I don't usually do a whole lot of like emails or anything earlier in the day because I can oh, handle yeah, those yeah. later when I'm spent, you know. Mm-hmm. So I pay attention to what activities still need to get done, but at what time it makes more sense to do it because I know, you know, just my mental cognition declines you know, later in the day too. So I'm going to put things that don't require as much, as much of me later on too. I'm cognizant of that as well. Very much so. Right. What's an example of like a, what you consider a high leverage activity that you really want to strike at with like the prime amount of energy in the, in the typical things that you have to do. I know there's always novel things coming up, but what's an example of that for you and your work? Yeah. I, I think anything where I've got to be able to articulate the vision of what we are doing either with Acton Academy or Apogee or the Essential 11, right? And all those are are around the same thing. Um, and they're all kind of a different avenues of the same purpose. Anytime I'm going to have to articulate that and have really deeper conversations around that, I try to push that to as close as possible, uh, you know, before lunch kind of kind of thing for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, any of that, if it's a jumping on the news, jumping on the podcast, um, interviewing somebody, an important meeting with, you know, investors or new people in the network or um, whatever that looks like, I will try to do that as early in the day as possible. And to be honest too, part of what I've known, I'm very uh, in tune with just how my body reacts physically to things too. If I've got a really, really important uh, meeting or something that I was like, okay, I've got to be as sharp as humanly possible. I won't eat breakfast because I've seen how that impacts me. Um, I mean, I, I, 
almost obsessively think through some of these things. I don't express it out loud. So people don't think I'm too crazy, but I, you know, the self-awareness part of that is, is a huge piece. So anything where I've got to articulate that mission is going to go earlier in the day. Those are going to be the most, you know, the high leverage activities, everything else is not that I do, but most of anything else can be done on autopilot for the most part in, in my brain. Gotcha. So you don't eat breakfast. And now this, these are just like selfish curiosities. I hope people <laughs> yeah. listening are interested. Are you fasting, intermittent fasting? Is that what you do? Yeah, not even from a trendy point. It's more from a, um, again, the the meticulous self-awareness of how my body reacts. I haven't been sick in years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and part of that is because I'm very particular about what I do put in my body and the exercise, the amount of sleep that I get. But part of it is I also understand if I start to feel off, mental cognition's not there, feeling a little run down, maybe I was exposed to something or kind of come down with something. I, one of what I believe is the body's natural ways to eliminate things, I just, I don't eat. I will only, I might take an entire day off just so my body isn't worried about digestion. It's worried about fighting off whatever I might be fighting off. Um, and that's just something that's worked for me. And I just, I notice the mental acuity going up if I, if I don't have anything necessarily in the morning. So um, I will just, I will just take that off. Quick follow up. I see a lot of conversations in your podcast feed about keto. Is that your lifestyle? You know, what's interesting is we've kind of, so it's kind of like how my speaking career went, right? I ended up doing out of the 350, 360 keynotes or, or cons, you know, uh, consultations that I've gotten to do over the last six or seven years, probably 50 of those have been with banks mm-hmm. and in the banking industry. Um, and, and that's more, it was just a product of, I got an, a client early on in that industry. I helped them quite a bit. And then they introduced me to more people in their field and said, you've got to bring this guy in. Right. And so right. it wasn't that I necessarily set out to do banking, that's just kind of where it landed. So I connected with people in this in the health and wellness field years ago because that was something I was, you know, particularly uh, interested in for myself. We started diving down the keto rabbit hole more for my wife uh, than anything else. She was it was what we found would actually cure her migraines. She would get severe migraines where she was out for an entire day, throwing up, couldn't see, couldn't think, almost looked like she had a stroke. So. Mm-hmm going down that keto rabbit hole actually helped eliminate those for her, which nothing else ever had. So I just developed a network around that. And just, you know, I've known a lot of good people in there. I'm not necessarily um, keto myself, although I do respond pretty well to it. Yeah. It's a great question. I was just curious. And this, this is actually a good place to take us to talking a little bit about the essential 11 as we move towards our, our main topic. So the essential 11, we talked about it last time, but it's a podcast where Mm -hmm. you uh, amend anything I say, but you interview high performers and super achievers. You ask them questions, taking apart and understanding their success. And that's something that you would like to, like I do with school socks, be able to pass along to people who are younger and still in this development process, trying to figure a lot of these things out. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's very much, it was uh, very much a tribe of mentors, you know, Tim Ferriss's book kind of approach mm-hmm. um, where we actually took advantage of a research group that we work with and, and uh, had 1500 youth from all over the United States and they were ages 13 to 22. And we just said, Hey, we're going to go to high performers. We're going to ask them your questions so that you get your questions answered. Kind of what are your, what are the questions you, you want? You know, and we said, you know, give us, give us 10. And, and so they put, they put those questions down and we had the group kind of cultivate 
um, you know, really the the top questions that, that we got from people. And so those are the questions that we use as the framework for the conversation. Okay. So something that we, uh, at this point, like joke about on my show pretty frequently is getting yeah. too uh, caught up in this kind yeah. of personal development stuff, right? Yeah. Where it's almost like you can just, there's always a new app. There's always a new hack. I know we neither of us like that word. Um, uh, people do also kind of want gurus or whatever the new innovation is and in an idea. And people will, because I send out a signal that this is obviously yeah. one of the pillars of the content we create, it can become kind of a messy thing to try and integrate properly. So you talk yeah. to all these different people, like, I, yep. like I'm talking to you right now and talk to yep. Zach Slayback five days ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I'm always having people like that on my show. And then there's this question yeah. of the integration of personal development advice or or tactics or strategies or principles. And, you know, I could go in and read, a, somebody could say, oh, Brett, you know, you always talk about this stuff. You've got to read this book and I'll pick up this book and start reading it and be like, dude, don't mess me up with what I'm already doing. Now I've got to integrate, yeah. you know, the thing that you're, you're doing yeah. because this is like the hottest new thing that everyone wants me yeah. to read about. So you have to, as the host of uh, Essential 11, like I do with my show, curate and it's a hard thing to do as meticulously as I'd like to do it but you have yeah. to like curate all of this different information and you have to put a lot of trust in your audience especially when you want to have a young audience uh of saying look you're going to be able to parse through this you can think for yourself take yeah. what you want leave the rest behind yep. i i built a product in 2019 uh it was a summit called ideas into action uh, for our university, which is kind of a separate spinoff from School Sucks. And yeah. it's uh, it was about like, look, here are people that I really respect in the, um, you know, the media world, content creation, people who are good at taking in information effectively, integrating it, assimilating it, and then outputting yeah. it in ways that, you know, win hearts and minds. So Tom Woods is there. Michael Malice is there. My friend Kevin Zach is there. Um, I'm sure a few other names you would recognize. And mm-hmm. I didn't say, look, you know, I understand that if you give somebody like a perfect methodology step by step, you can sell that for thousands of dollars because people sure. it it is almost like the super hack, right? Yeah. It's all here. You don't have to think I don't want to I don't want to say people who would spend thousands of dollars on a course don't want to think for themselves. I'm certainly not implying that. But there yeah. is a kind of comfort in like you know, we're all schooled. We all spent 15,000 or most of us spent 15,000 hours in this place and there mm-hmm. still is this uh, you know, kind of fragile part that in the face of a challenge goes, uh, okay, they reach out their hand, like somebody take my hand and lead me where I'm supposed to go. Like, even if we don't act on that, that impulse is still there. So I do often worry, like when I put out content, like how does it integrate with other things that we've talked about? And when I take in new content, I always say, is this something that that I can integrate. So I'd just like to hear, because you obviously are trying to pass this stuff on to to younger people through Essential 11, the practice of integrating different concepts in personal development or personal growth. Yeah, it's, that's a really good question, man. And, and one of the things you touched on briefly, there was the, the trust element, right? I trust, I trust that people inherently have the ability to think for themselves. I just think we are in a culture and school being one of the, you know, big piece of that culture that, that sucks that ability away, or at least masks that ability. And and we have to fight through to figure out how to find that again, you know, but I do trust um, that, that most things in human, you know, the human experience really, when you get down to it really are simple, they really are basic. I think, you know, even when we talk personal development and self-development and personal growth and growth mindset and all that kind of stuff, 
there's some basic things that I think all of our guests and essential 11 will touch on at the root of it is, is the way you show up and treat other people, you know, Mm -hmm. always matters. Um, doing something that you're excited about bringing, you know, going after a purpose and taking action, um, versus sitting back and waiting for the world to come to you. Um, you know, that matters, pay attention to your health, uh, that matters. You know, there's some very basic foundational things that they all speak on. And so my goal with that is, is quite little because that's again that's always really what it comes back to they're just expressing their experience of those and how that's played out for them and you know my goal is never I don't fully agree with everything every single one of my guests say but that's not the kind of show it is it's not for me to go and argue with them about stuff it's to get their insight they're obviously doing good things so I want them to be able to share that and my goal is that with everybody who's listening what I believe will likely happen because I've seen this play out in my decades in, in education is that if I've got a listener who's, who's paying attention and, and, you know, he or she gets on there and listens to, you know, Patrick bet David talk and might be like, okay, that was cool. But you know, and then they hear Seth Godin and they're like, oh yeah, that was, you know, that was kind of cool too. And then, um, you know, Gary V gets on and okay. All right. But then all of a sudden Mark Bell's on there. We got freaking Ted Nugent coming up right who's who knows what the hell he's gonna say right we got Mm -hmm. all of a sudden something they've heard a million different times for some reason the way that particular person said it that particular person's experience resonated with that young person and then just gets them to take a step forward yeah it's not you know that's all it is they've heard this a lot of the same things before but for the, for some reason, that person had a piece of there was a piece of that person's humanity that really spoke to that particular listener, and all of a sudden that became where something clicked for them and a message clicked, and that's what I'm trying to do. I mean, it's really that. It's a like no like and trust, right? Yeah. So I mean, yeah. my role is I can go and find people who are you know these super achievers and be a conduit and say, hey. A person who thinks they totally can't do this thing, I kind of think I couldn't do this thing. And here's somebody who did this thing. So let's set up this chain where we kind of communicate that information. And the part with um, younger people, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we mostly, most of us had this experience where we were given no invitation to figure things out, to to build our own maps, to navigate our own challenges. So people going out and trying to like put their own picture, integrate their own picture of how to do this or how to do that, it feels in the world that we live in like I'm doing something that's out of place by inviting people of any age to do that, right? Just because that's how we're basically indoctrinated to think. We are indoctrinated. when you're indoctrinated into thinking that you got to – you know, you got all these people, you better listen to them. Otherwise, you're in this world of figuring everything out yourself and you're this unique – snowflake that's never had this particular situation and you are unique but there are so many people that have gone before you that have done things that and that are no better that they're no smarter than you they're no happier than you they're they're, they didn't come from a better situation from you there's so many of these walking living breathing speaking roadmaps out there of how to do this thing we call life that eventually you're going to find somebody that goes, you go, okay, I kind of relate to that. And you can take a look at the roadmap they've paved and not saying that that's going to be your roadmap too, 
just saying that you can start to follow those habits of them before you. I have 11 rules in my house. We've got them up. It's something that we came up with as a family. It's something that we, it's kind of our creed, you know, our, our code that we live by. I hold my family to it. They hold me to it. And I got called out the other day by my seven-year-old. She's like, Hey, you're not living up to number six, you know? And so it's like, we, that's what we want them to do. Mm-hmm. Number one in our house is be a copycat. That's the first rule in our house. And what we mean by that is you are the only you, there is no other you. We know that like there is no combination of DNA that will ever amount or ever has amounted to who exactly you are in your specific journey. But in order to not get wrapped up into the, you know, seemingly like freaking esoteric challenge that this is like, how do I even start to tackle that? You look at the people that you admire something about their journey and you don't copy them and try to be them but you take the piece you admire or the path that they took and you just start walking down that, that path. You're Michael Jordan example. That's it. Yeah. In the last show. Yeah. That's exactly right. You just start moving down that path. That's it. And then that's going to present more open doors, more opportunities, more self-awareness around you. You keep your eyes open to other people and you know, a path is never straightforward and, and you're going to take some steps forward. You're going to go to the side. You're going to come backwards a little bit. You're going to go forward. I mean, so it's a funky, it's a funky mess, but the whole point is that you are moving forward and you can use those people as these guideposts, you know, to, to develop kind of your own journey. There's no straight, pretty arc. Mm. Um, but all of those ugly arcs are exponentially better than the dot that just sits right there where it is waiting for the world to come to them. Okay, so great transition, right? Because there are like the people example, but then there is the people example, but then there's the kind of archetypical example where, you know, one of the promises that you make at Acton Academy um, when people enroll is that, you know, your child will begin a hero's journey. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. so we know the hero's journey from film, from stories. Yes. We know it from marketing, right? Like this is my hero's journey as the marketer. This is me taking you on the hero's journey as uh, the person I'm marketing to. But one of the things that I want to talk about is like how much you go into detail with that, like like laying out, making explicit. We're already like talking about it. Yeah. I think we have been yeah. for a while as yeah. far as, you know, helping kids go there and advice to go there. Yeah. But uh, some things that I wanted to get at are like how can parents of home-educated or unschooled uh, young people help foster or even guide this process. And I think the way to start talking about that is, like, how do you lay this out to the students at at Acton? Uh, I know you can do it in a a simple three-act structure, departure, initiation, return, but it has, you know, uh, I think each act has four has four components. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about how you do that. So when we have our, our open houses, right? So at this point, we've got enough awareness where we've got a, a kind of a funneling system um, that, that's in place for families that want to come in, students that want to come in and be a part of this and families that want to be you know, a part of this. And so one of the things that we do at this initial uh, info session is we talk about the hero's journey. And I say, look, I'm not going to ever go in. I'm not going to tell you that we go through all these 12 steps because that gets over. It gets overwhelming to try to peg everything you're doing into these entire 12, 12 steps. That are, <laughs> right. um, it's really like this. It's a circle, right? I mean, and that's great. And, and so we have that from a visual perspective. We do have that up so people can can dive in that is, you know, present on our campus so people can kind of see that. But 
the the way I try to break it down, break it down for everybody for in the most basic sense is that our focus is going to be on self-awareness, self-confidence, and personal responsibility for taking things forward. We try to we try to keep it this very, very basic sort of deal. We say you're gonna get self-awareness by trying as many things as possible. We are going to try to expose you. It is like going to the buffet to figure out what your favorite food is. You can't go to one restaurant. I can't just go to a sushi restaurant and think I'm going to walk out of there and know if I've never eaten food, what my favorite restaurant or my favorite food is. I can pick my favorite food out of that, but I don't know what my favorite food is because I haven't tried other foods. So that self-awareness piece is by exposure to as much as humanly possible for those young people, as many disciplines, as many um, potential uh, career opportunities is like as much as humanly possible. That's where our badges that are individual projects, our quests. That's why academia is such a small part of what we do because we are just trying to like, look, there's this whole world out there. We want you to try all of it because even if you go, okay, I just had to create, I just created a stop motion video right there and that sucked and I hated it. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's self, you know that. And that's great. That's great knowledge to have. It's much better than going, I don't know, I've never done it. You know what I mean? So there's the self-awareness piece of that. There's the self-confidence piece of that. We believe self-confidence doesn't actually uh, come through until you've done those things like, you know, crossing the crossing the threshold, going against the, the tests, the allies, the enemies, the, you know, approaching the inmost cave, the ordeal, like all of those hero's journey components we believe that self-confidence is is built really on the other side of battling those dragons Mm -hmm. so that's where we increase the stakes so not only are you going to be exposed to all of these things you're going to be exposed to all of these elements all of these disciplines but you're gonna have a you're gonna have a deadline now you're gonna have some some self-imposed goals every week and you're gonna have this deadline this looming thing called an exhibition Mm -hmm. we're gonna invite friends and family in and you're either gonna show out and show what you've been working on or you're gonna fall on your own sword and make it very obvious that you put no effort whatever that is you rise and fall with your own effort um, and we're going to try to keep the stakes really really high for them because what we see is at the end of that when they present themselves well and they've put forward all this work, that's where true self-confidence comes in because they've actually done some things. They'll get the awareness of, yes, I liked that. I didn't like that, but they get the confidence from having pushed through something they didn't necessarily know right. that they were going to be able to, to be okay with it. And then that second or that third part is kind of that personal responsibility for us. We want to continue to just provide tools and systems. This goes back to me being a systems person. Our whole shtick is that we are trying to get as many systems in place that make us as irrelevant as possible. Parents should be doing the same thing. You know, it's that Frederick Douglass quote of building up strong kids. You don't have to repair broken men. You, if you're parenting, um, even in this, in an unschooling or homeschooling sort of deal, you should be at least providing enough systems that you can back off, let the young trust the young person to take on those systems and figure out how to move things forward. So we provide those systems in place to keep everybody personally responsible uh, for, for what they are doing and understanding that again, we have to play the victim and they're in control of whatever they can control. When those components are in place, then inherently we get 
to that, you know, that return with the elixir, they, they've got the self-awareness, the self-confidence, they've got um, that sense of personal responsibility and saying, I'm in control of whatever I can control in my life. And then, you know, more often than not, that person wants to come back and kind of do that return where they're giving back to, to others around them. That's also partially built in the systems. They're inherently working with other, you know, other students on campus, especially those that are younger, they are serving as mentors to them. So that's, you know, it's kind of those three things that we try to present as the package. We believe all 12 of those steps in the circle kind of stem from. So I hate to get political, Boy, yeah. I mean, go especially <laughs> in times like these, I hate to get political, but if we just kind of go to that first act where people are are teens and, you know, you're trying to introduce these ideas and maybe intervene in a lot of the cultural forces that they would just be encountering. And I know like p- the installation of political thinking and like very and cultural programming starts at a much younger age now. But when you think about where it started for us, we enter adulthood and i don't mean like legal adulthood i mean like actually you know being able to drive a car and have a job like our our nature is telling us we're an adult even if school is still telling us we're a child and um we're raised kind of in this obliviousness or at least we were and when the call to adventure comes for a lot of us it's like leaving the obliviousness of high school and going to college Mm mm-hmm so we go from, you know, as the as the hero's journey lays it out, no awareness of the problem to increased but still limited awareness mm-hmm. of the problem. And um, then, I mean, I remember for me, this was in the 90s, getting like very uncomfortable and agitated with uh, like, why wasn't I told all these things about how the world is? But yeah. I certainly there was, you know, still the the refusal of the call to actually do anything about it. And, you know, the politics that gets installed now, it's like called social justice in college. It's it's a it's there's this terrible reluctance to actually change yourself, to actually take ownership, to take control. So it's somebody do something or who's to blame. And yeah. then people kind of get stuck in the refusal of taking their own hero's journey as a yeah. result of you know, kind of getting blindsided, like the mentor comes along at the time when, you know, naturally a person like wants to go somewhere and goes, oh, just become a useful idiot for the stuff that, you know, I'm telling you and don't actually go on some kind of autonomous quest. So I, yeah, I think this is really great. And it's, it's just surprising how many people uh, are not talking about at least introducing this concept, this Campbell concept to young people. So I think it's great. It is, it is great. And it's, you know, there's so many different reasons. I think with that, uh, there's, you know, the, there, all the big systems I think are, are set up in a way, and this always pisses people off. But I think when you look at a giant system, whether it's a religious system, a medical system, an educational system, um, you look at all those systems that have their schools in place to teach others how to perpetuate the system, um, what you know we build is our reliance as a culture as a human species on a system and we you know we lend credence and authority to anybody who shouts the loudest and and uh, ultimately what we end up doing is is we do we eliminate people's understanding of kind of what humanity should be able to do and i think probably did at one point of of relative you know, going after relative sovereignty. And, um, you know, we have more and more become just a humane, a populace everywhere that lives in fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I have noticed is even as we come outside of that and say, look, we are here to open doors. I'm not here to push you through a door. I'm going to open a door for you. Um, 
the the fear that surrounds that is amazing especially when you start challenging those systems when i say to a teacher or an administrator hey let me tell you about acton academy and let me tell you what we're doing and by the way we don't have any teachers i don't care if anybody's credentialed um we don't put you know we I don't even say the word standards. If we talk about standards, we're talking about character. We're not talking about academia. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a fear that comes out and it's like, all of a sudden it's like, no man, it's a personal attack. And if, if I was to listen to you any further, like you're going to, you're going to start to make me question this relative, um, you know, I'm just been kind of going with the flow and doing what I'm told. And if you're going to make me question that, then all of a sudden the responsibility is going to come back on me to have to act, to act in accordance with what I think about this. And I don't even want to take on the the possibility that I may be doing something that I have an internal dialogue against. So I won't even consider it. And just because you brought it up and you even started to make me consider it, you're the enemy. You're the jerk. You're the, you know, it's a very interesting thing. And I'll do the same thing in the medical field too. And just go, okay, well, let's, let's talk about, you know, health as it is really everybody's talking about you know we want to talk about health and public health well maybe health does start with with personal responsibility maybe these organizations cdc and who maybe some of the advice they're given isn't um necessarily beneficial and it's the same thing it's an attack there so it's it's a very interesting scenario more people live in fear um than not and that's why i've gotten very comfortable with just look i'm going to open those doors i'm going to be the morpheus that just goes hey think about this red pill blue pill i'm not saying i have all the answers but let me invite you to come explore an alternative side and uh, and see if you're willing to take that next step forward and, and have some more questions. Most people aren't. Do you think you're talking about something that's like more the human condition or do you yep. think you're talking about like a byproduct of the world in which we live over the last five or 10 years? And the reason why I ask is uh, one of the comments that I've made frequently on my show is that the technology that we use currently to communicate has made people's identities much more intertwined with their Mm -hmm. politics. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about like, now this was always true. Like um, I don't even necessarily think it's a bad thing. Like Mm -hmm. I've spent, I lived in Western Pennsylvania, spent a lot of time recently, actually recently this year in Western Pennsylvania. And there's a culture here that I really love, right? Where people worked at, you know, they worked in the oil industry, they worked in the steel industry, they did mining, they worked at the, you know, Sylvania light bulb plant. And, uh, you know, a lot of this is like union creating a culture, but people identify with their work in ways that are prideful, and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. It gets a little dicey when, you know, you you do start talking to people who work in government because then, you know, like especially education, because now there are political implications of that where it's all just, you know, like – Every political conversation, if you're like more liberty minded, is like, can we just skip to the part where you're pointing a gun at me to get what you want, basically? And I think people feel that subtext, right? Like politics is about war by other means. How do we impose our wills on each other uh, in a way that we've, uh, for some reason, agreed is uh, sophisticated and nonviolent? So it's really been a difficult conversation to have with people like teachers, but it's gotten really tricky for for everybody to have the the humility and the curiosity to be able to unblend their identity from their politics 
And yeah. all of because the politics are like the worst features of humanity, they're yeah. also like a lot of the worst features of our personalities. So yeah. it's becomes a very dangerous game to play with people when something is like you're criticizing something and there's political implications of doing it. And this has gotten so much worse in, in our world for the, uh, you know, 20 years ago, uh, as I always say, you could have a conversation about getting on an airplane with yeah. somebody and it didn't have to become there was no threat of it becoming a political conversation about yeah. should we have the TSA or not yeah, you know totally. 10 years ago you could have a conversation about I'm going to go get a, a big gulp soda in New York yeah. City without it yeah. being but because politicians get more and more involved in everything as time goes on more and yeah. more things become political topics yeah. so education has been that you know really since the 80s really since you know Reagan and um, a nation at risk and going after the department of uh, the brand new Department of Education and all that. Right. So if you've learned anything from talking to teachers, which you've done a lot of, that we yep. could apply to how tied up everybody's politics seems to be with their identity. So everything seems like a personal attack today. I would love advice on that if you have any from, I guess, primarily from talking to teachers or the, the medical field is uh, applicable to that too. It's an emotional thing for people, sir, but you're right. It's, and it has been exacerbated by our culture. I think it is sort of a, you know, this fear-based adherence to a system, you know, I think is, is somewhat inherent in the human, in the human condition, because it allows us to, to take the stress of sovereignty off of us a little bit, but it does create this emotional thing that's been capitalized upon by politics. And the easiest way for me to get out of it has just been to literally be a political mm -hmm. because you're right everything's been politicized i had a buddy that went and got a covid you know uh was early on got a covid test i mean a couple months into the whole thing and the, and the doctor was like hey i you know i kind of have some protocol i'd like to to maybe recommend to you but um before i do you know are you democrat or republican it's like what the hell why does that have anything to do with your medical condition like why does that have anything to do with health mm. You know, like what's, what's the deal, but that everything is, is politicized, um, in that regard. And, and it was very, it was <laughs> very interesting to me. We hosted Joe Jorgensen here this year, um, who you know, was the libertarian candidate for, for president. And she came to our campus and did her Northern California, uh, kind of speaking event here and, and got to go out to dinner with her afterwards and had some good conversation. And it was very interesting at that event itself. I had at the same event. I had somebody who came up to me um, as we were wrapping up and they said, Hey, you know, while we've been sitting here doing this, I hosted the event. I was kind of the, like the MC for it. So they're like, you know, as she was speaking, I was kind of looking you up and noticing the way that you kind of run this school. And, and this is very interesting, this acting Academy and the student driven sort of thing. And um, you know, as I look at that, I can't help but think that you, you're more left leaning and, and probably very, you know, democratic and, and maybe even kind of, leaning harder left on like maybe even like on a socialist sort of sort yeah. of scale so it's very right so they looked at that and they go okay well here's this political box that he fits into so i had somebody say that to me i had somebody at the wrap-up come up to me and say hey this is really cool what you're doing with the school i loved hearing all this stuff um you know but hearing how this school is very pro-business seeing you here in your jeans and sport coat and your beard uh you know you're obviously very right-leaning very you know trump supportive um, so they looked at some of the same stuff, put me in a different political box. And then I had others that went, obviously you're middle of the road, libertarian. You've got the libertarian candidate here. Thank you for being libertarian and being on the side of reason, kind of in the middle of all this. Everybody wanted to put me in this political box. At the end of the day, I don't get involved in politics at all. Oh yeah. Um, in this 
pisses a lot of people off, but I don't get involved in politics at all because I, it's something that is outside the realm of my control. That's that's a really, really good point. And anytime I think I find myself in one of those situations, just as far as like sphere of control is concerned, anytime I'm talking about something political or cultural and I find there's there's like a should or a shouldn't, yeah. like people should do this or they shouldn't do yeah. that. I'm like, oh, that means I have no power here. And it doesn't mean like I won't weigh in on it in the platform that I have, but yeah. I'm certainly also not going to lose sleep about it. Lose sleep about it. And that's yeah. that's exactly it. And that's what allows me. And that's what – so now I'm not saying that that's my staff, that they're all um, in that same boat and apolitical. And, and for the most part, they're not. But I do have staff that is more right-leaning. I have staff that's more left-leaning and, and some that would claim to be – you know, kind of in the in the middle, classical, liberal, libertarian, whatever. But the way we approach it with our young people is that they should not know where we stand on anything. Mm. And that's politics or anything else. Our job, and it's so it makes it very easy for me being somebody that doesn't get involved in politics at all. I don't have a pony in the race, man. So I have no, you know, agenda as far as pushing a student one way or the other. And I'm not going to try to lead them with my questions to get to my consensus. Um, and and as much as possible, that's something we work on as a staff to that's part of the reason we don't answer questions. That's part of the reason that, you know, we try to uh, bring the Socratic method in to just continuously push back as to why. And I will always try to bring up as close to the opposite side of whatever point was just made as possible. And me staying neutral on, on most topics allows me to be able to do that without giving away an emotional cue so that the student then just has to think. And I trust them truly to get to the decision that makes the most sense for them where we don't negotiate as character character matters. You're going to be, you know, you need to be respectful. You need to treat other people the right way. I don't care if you're lean right, left, up, down, and you're not leaning at all, treat other people the right way, but your ideas should be freely shared. And, and uh, I'm just going to push back on them so that, you know, so that, you know, at the end of the day, I've done my best to make sure you believe whatever it is you believe because you actually believe it versus somebody else told you to believe it. Yeah. The Socratic approach. I also like the Columbo approach. So you you encounter people. You're yeah. talking about this yeah. event with Joe Jorgensen, and yeah. people they don't know how to like actually say this as explicitly as they need to. But they're like, "Can you show me where your handles are so I can pick you up and put you in the box I need you to oh, go in?" Hundred percent. That's 100%. that's kind of it. So I was talking to a mutual friend of ours who just I'll keep this vague. Just moved to a new city. And, yeah. you know, was talking about meeting people of the opposite sex. Yeah. I said, you're going to encounter people in a city. You're going to encounter people who have political and cultural views that you're going to find frustrating. Sure. Uh, so you should work on maybe creating some pattern interruptions. So we talked about the, you know, the Columbo approach, but also this, uh, you know, like if somebody tries to take the conversation um, in the political, like starts talking about politicians, go, geez, all those people just sound crazy to me. Boy, yeah. what do they think? They're that's wild, uh, but also taking the real inquisitive approach um, is helpful as well, and just trying to create pattern interruptions and, and really trying to like depoliticize and rehumanize yep. things for people and and uh, like problem solve together yeah. instead of just labeling, boxing. These are my yeah. handles. Pick me up and put me here. Um, totally. Like actually trying to get to the bottom of a person's needs and wants and and have a conversation that's far more connected. That's right. And if you've got an agenda. Um, where you need to get them over to your specific side, you're inherently going to be emotionally wrapped up in how you attack that and you'll never get there. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, that's, that's the whole, I love that the Columbo approach, you know, and it's oh, yeah. just, 
Um, my wife and I were talking about that not too long because her parents are freaking phenomenal people. They're great, but they're they're very much on a different on a different side of a lot of different topics than we are, which is, which is great, which is fine. They're phenomenal people. Um, so they will say things that, you know, I know she doesn't agree with, and I don't personally agree with, mm-hmm. um, I don't get emotionally wrapped up into it. I don't take it as a personal attack. It's a difference of ideas. And so I, I do take the Columbo approach a lot of times and just go, Oh man, cool. Curious. You know, what do you think about? And I just try to take their side, try to get their explanation of it. I don't take any, um, personal offense to it. You know, I hate this. That's another term I hate is this whole triggered. You're not a gun. Nobody can trigger you. You allow yourself to be triggered. Mm -hmm. That's within your control. So, you know, I remain emotionally neutral on that. You end up having some, some good conversations, get their side of it. At the end of the day, maybe you don't agree, but it's all, it's all good. Well, yeah. And I would even say like, I'm not even disagreeing with you, but like the, the trigger idea, like something can happen and like, I've had things happen and gone, boy, I, I'm really pissed off right now by this thing that just happened. But you still, I mean, if you're being conscious, you can still choose your response. I I don't nail that a hundred percent of the time. I'll be honest. But you know, if you practice that, yeah, I mean, it's okay to have like, uh, even an irrational emotional reaction to a thing, but you can, you know, with practice, you can certainly choose your response and not appear triggered. That's right. And you can, and you can choose what your emotional responsive to at this point because i'm with you man i, I don't want to make it sound like i'm this guru that's got it all <laughs> freaking nailed down because that's crock but where i can tell you where i do falter where i where i need to get better it's only in the places where i'm very much emotionally invested right so it's going to be when something um it's you know right now for it's my daughters you know when they're fighting with each other about stuff that's ridiculous and, and stupid like that's my you know, emotional. It's like, geez, like you guys have things are great. You're literally two of the, you know, most wonderful humans I know. Um, and you treat everybody else the right way. You're super responsible. You guys are fin- I could not have imagined better young ladies, but you treat each other like garbage and that will set me <laughs> off. And I've got to like pull, you know, I got to pull away, but it's because I'm emotionally invested in them mm-hmm. as human beings, right? If it's yeah. something you know, it's, it's possible at this point for something on the, on the school side for acting, you know, if something doesn't go exactly the right way, or, you know, we're developing our new campuses and and something on the city side, that's a major hiccup on the development of our, whatever that is, I can, because I'm emotionally invested there. I can usually get that out of that quicker though, but for everything else that that's just being aware of what you truly emotionally invested in gives you foresight into what kind of things you just need to really be cognizant about your emotional control going into. Absolutely. So look, I got one more hero's journey question before I run out of time for today. Um, You encounter kids from all different places, all different backgrounds, all different, you know, issues, emotional landscapes, all that. Dealing with reluctance, right? It was interesting. You know, we talked months ago about this and the world changed a lot between our two conversations. And I said, Mm -hmm. yeah, we're going to soon we're going to, you know, do this hero's journey conversation. And the world has transformed dramatically since that time. Um, Fear is way up. Right. Uh, A lot of the the messaging, like I've always said, school makes good on its promise to deliver good citizens. It certainly does that. Facebook, which I'm about to delete, showed me a memory yesterday of a show that I posted seven years ago called uh, What We've Learned from Zero Tolerance. Mm -hmm. And it's a picture of these militarized police, like basically hovering over, um, you know, students. 
And then, like, I scrolled down and there was a picture of Washington, D.C. This was yesterday. And it didn't look too different, right? So school will create expectations or tolerances of, you know, the world out there. Uh, And, you know, so with the things going on in school right now, it's it it is it does concern me what society might look like in five years. Don't look at each other. uh, Be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. All of that. uh, It's certainly not going to help with a healthy society. But, you know, even going forward in the short term, you are in even in the past, you've encountered kids with all these different backgrounds, all these different resistances. How do you counsel through reluctance like because you you must have encountered it with with students who they're not ready they're afraid they don't know what to do they don't know how to take the next step with this path that you're encouraging that's it man it is not just a kid thing that oh, yeah. is a yeah. human thing mm-hmm. i you know the adults that i talk to i do i spend as much time working with our parents in this community and we've got brave parents. You don't, you don't come to an act in Academy without being braver than the normal parent, because you are bucking a trend. You're getting outside. And I still spend time going, Hey, just like, you've got one shot at this whole thing, man. You're either living or you're existing. And right now you're kind of retreating into an existence versus, you know, moving forward on a life that the reluctance is is there too begin because of that fear right yeah. and what i've realized that there is no it's like anything else in humanity man there is no there is no blanket answer that i can give that is going to get somebody out of it because what they're looking for is they're looking for a motive they're looking for motivation yeah. they're looking for a motivation to get out of a rut to get unstuck to take that you know step into into life And what they really need is discipline. Sometimes it's a discipline to be motivated. It's a discipline. I mean, there are some young people, I've got young men that I mentor right now where they can get themselves super fired up for a day if they watch, you know, some of these motivation, some of these motivational YouTube videos that are really, really good, put together really well. Like they can watch one of those in the morning and they're ready to go crush it. But then the nighttime comes, the energy starts to wane, the natural cycle of, of, you know, their circadian rhythm, they get tired and and the motivation is not quite there at the night. So then they can go to bed and they get up the next day and they're like, eh, I'm not there. So what do they have to do? They've had to discipline themselves to watch another video in the morning, discipline themselves to motivate themselves every single day. Right. right? right. And so it's, what is that specific discipline you need? That's why we utilize the mod schedules we do just to go, Hey, if you map this out, when you're in this solid mental state, man, and you map all of this out and even when motivation's waning, you just remain disciplined to that path of what I need to do moving forward. That's as close to a universal response or a, or a universal step, I guess I should say, as, mm. as I've been able to even find because it's so different for everybody. Everybody's got their hiccups of, of why they, you know, why they're reluctant. But it is something that I continue when I mean, we continue to have that conversation and even here sometimes it's like, wait, why is this person being reluctant? We've, we're literally giving them all the tools. So what is the fear? What is that point of fear that we are missing here with that young hero? What is it right now? Is it something going on at home? Is it something? What is it like? We're consistently having that conversation and the answer sometimes to get them stuck, you know, unstuck are not the same. Yeah. But man, that is the universal question. Well, I guess it's kind of, geez, maybe I read Atomic Habits for a reason. It is kind of like a self-directed, like self-chosen, intrinsically motivated systems installation kind of thing where you go to school, it's like, tough luck, buddy. These are the systems we're installing. 
But yeah. with self-awareness and like bringing that stuff out, being conscious of that stuff and saying, yep. where do you want to go? What do you want to do? More, more importantly, like how do you want to feel? Because yes. having good systems in place at the end of the day – you know, yep. think about just the building blocks that days are towards the future. Yep. At the end of the right. day, if you follow systems that are self-nurturing and yep. self-honoring, you go to bed and you go, geez, that was a that was a great day. And you string a few yes. of those together and then those systems become ingrained. And that's it. And yeah. things start to change. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's as close to an as an answer as as we can get. You know, we always tell our our young heroes, look, you are consistently being brainwashed by somebody whether yeah. it's your parents whether it's your friends whether it's the media whether it's social media whether it's the culture or it's you mm, so yeah. might as well make it you might as well pick and choose exactly what that brainwash looks like and make that brainwash exactly the you know have it come from the person that you want to be and those pieces components of others that you like that you want to integrate in yourself have those be the things that are brainwashing you every single day live you know moving towards those ideals and you know things there's no such thing as perfection but you can always chase it and, and things get pretty dang good um you know, with that, with that kind of self-awareness. Well, we did one of my favorite things. We had a conversation that I really loved having while we had it. And I think it's good for all segments of our audience. Like everybody can use what we talked about today. So thank you so much. And how can people in my audience learn more about your work? I appreciate that, man. Um, no, and, and the honor was definitely mine. It's always fun to talk to you too, man. And I always thank appreciate you. the work that, that, uh, the work that you're doing too, um, very much on the same team. So Acton Placer, you know, A-C-T-O-N-P-L-A-C-E-R.com. You can learn about our campuses. Um, Apogee Strong, it's A-P-O-G-E-E Strong.com is the mentorship program. Uh, and the Essential 11 podcast, all of those are all around that same goal of, of helping our young people and, and helping them on their hero's journey. So, you know, I'm honored if anybody goes to to any of those places and, and just wants to learn more and, and I'm available to be reached out on all those. Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you so much. I look forward to doing it again. Pleasure, brother. friends and thanks for sticking through all the way to the end as always before we go today i just want to remind you about our partner in the essential school sucks it is a partnership i am very proud of after first becoming aware of praxis in 2015 i think the founder of praxis isaac morehouse interviewed me for his podcast he told me all about what they were doing and creating this professional development and entrepreneurial development focused college alternative and ever since then on the show, anytime the conversation of college comes up, I, I've been happy to insert to whoever I was talking to, do you know about Praxis? Like I said, you're going to hear numerous voices from Praxis. I'm really surprised you haven't heard any yet uh, in this Essential School Sucks series, including uh, an upcoming conversation with one of the members of the founding team, Zach Slayback, who was actually my neighbor here in Pittsburgh, and Zach would have a little party, and I'd go to his house, and I'd get to meet a bunch of other people. Some of my uh, closest friends today are people who went through the Praxis program. So they're people who are much younger 
than I am. And I even occasionally turn to them for insight and wisdom. But recently, I started hearing ads as I was planning The Essential School Sucks. This was very serendipitous. I started hearing ads for Praxis on podcasts that I listened to, big podcasts, like Modern Wisdom. So I reached out to the people in charge that I happen to know, and I said, hey, I've been promoting what you guys do on my show for like seven years. How can we make this uh, relationship more official, you know? And I mentioned where I had uh, heard mentions of Praxis. So we set that up. And like I said, I feel really proud to be working with Praxis. And one of the great opportunities that they created for us and for listeners too, parents of teens or teens who are looking for alternatives to college themselves, they have a free guidebook that you can get. You just click the link in the show notes. It says visit Praxis, or you could go to discoverpraxis.com slash school sucks podcast, or there's a banner right at the top of school sucks project.com itself. The book is called Forward Tilt. It's written by Praxis founder Isaac Morehouse, who you will hear also in this Essential School Sucks collection, and Hannah Frankman, who is a Praxis graduate. And this is a collection of secrets and strategies that have been acquired through the years of doing this work, of helping young, ambitious, entrepreneurial people find a alternative to higher indoctrination. Now, the college degree is a very dated credential, right? So for a while, that was the best game in town. It was the, here's a piece of paper that said I could persevere through four more years of school. And that means I'm ready to work for you. We live in a different world today. And for a lot of young professionals, especially people looking to get ahead in their careers, that does not make sense anymore. So I see this as one of the most important and beneficial acts of defiance against the schooling establishment. Start learning if Praxis is a good alternative for you as the teen or for your teen if you're the parent of a teen. And if you want to lend your support to The Essential School Sucks uh, and the future of The School Sucks Project, please become a patron. You can go to patreon.com slash school sucks. We have three tiers of membership. Even at the very first tier, you get access to The School Sucks archives at least back to 2017, including an RSS feed that you can just add to your podcatcher. And you'll also see an incredible collection of bonus material, serial bonus shows, In Pursuit of Utopia, which is a history show, The Discomfort Zone, which is a personal development show. If you like the topics that Matt and I discussed on this podcast that you just heard, you'd love The Discomfort Zone. A film appreciation show called uh, Picture of the Month Club, and also many, many of our private anniversary, that's our private community, discussion groups on a variety of topics. It's a wonderful time capsule of current events over the last couple of years. I'm putting out one today, a very lively discussion that we had on the January 6th hearings with um, some very interesting perspectives. So if you get value from this and you want to return some value to me, I like to make sure that in exchange for the value you return, I send even more value your way. But of course, if you just like what we do, if you support this mission and this message and you want to chip in, that's greatly appreciated as well. You don't have to listen to all this other stuff. You know, it's not like uh, I'm going to check in on you and say, did you hear the latest uh, university discussion group or the discomfort zone? In the show notes, there's numerous one-time support options as well. That's always greatly appreciated. I guess at this point, you could ignore the crypto addresses. Good heavens. But uh, thanks for listening all the way to the end, and I'll see you in a couple of days.